Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Social impact and gaming. On today's podcast, I interview Yenny Solheim. She leads the social impact work at Niantic, finding ways to create real-world impact through the technologies of Niantic Creates. Notably, projects include the annual Earth Days campaign, hundreds of hyper-local community events around the world, and partnerships with organizations such as UNICEF and the National Park Foundation. So without any further delay, I would like to welcome Yenny. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on the show. I know we just had the official Earth Day here a couple of days ago. Um, and that's, is that is that your big hoorah kickoff in the social impact space? Yeah, you know, it's definitely one of our largest campaigns that we run mm -hmm. every year. Uh, mm -hmm. Naturally, we have it over the month of April because of Earth Day. We like to refer to it as Earth Month or a sustainability campaign. Um, but it is one of many many things that we do for sure. Awesome. That's awesome. I, I'd love to learn just a little bit of your journey of like what got you, um, you know, from originally being alumni of, of Davis, uh, University of California, and what got you all the way up to working in social impact for Niantic? Yeah, well, it's a long and winding road. Uh, sure. It's not the traditional, uh, you know, tech resume or gaming resume, frankly. In fact, you know, I certainly played games as a kid, but they were basic. They were, you know, the Pokemon uh, card games, uh, Duck Hunt, if anyone knows that game. I liked yeah. board games. Um, but really, you know, I did not see myself necessarily being in the gaming or tech industry. Mm -hmm. um, and and the way that I got there was actually a little bit of a, of a weird coincidence. Um, so when I was at Davis, I graduated in 2009, which of course we all know was not the best time to be looking for a job as a, as a new grad, uh, <laughs> at least in the US. And so I started a consulting company. Um, I was really interested in renewable energy and the ways in which you know we can help uh, combat climate change. So I thought, well, I guess I'll just kind of dig myself in here and, you know, offer up my my business services uh, as a 22 year old, you know, uh, graduate uh, to renewable energy startups. So a lot mm. of these startups are, you know, founded by engineers, uh, technologists, scientists who don't necessarily have the time to build out partnerships and um do a lot of the back office work and marketing. Yeah. So that's kind of how I was positioning myself. So I did that for uh, about two years. And then I was looking to really learn from a larger organization. So I thought I'd apply to one of the biggest tech companies that we know uh, as Google. Mm. And, um, you know, I was looking for some sort of marketing role. I think in my mind, I thought that's like what I should be doing. Uh, but my mom actually recommended that I start out as someone's assistant. Um, which I, I was opposed to, but I took the suggestion and I applied as an assistant there. Did a lot of interviews kind of across the org. And um, one day the recruiter called and said, you know, there's this job. It's, uh, you know, it's not really well known. This guy's looking for someone who can do a lot of different things. Um, but would you be interested in coming in and speaking to him? So I went in and interviewed with John Hankey, who is now our CEO, and was very lucky that he agreed to hire me uh, as his assistant. At the time, he had actually just left Google Maps and Google Earth, where he had been for a long time, um, and was experimenting with something new, something called AR or augmented reality. I had no idea what it was. 
I was really interested in learning from him. And um, there was just a small group of folks. So some engineers, him and myself working to figure out, you know, what, what AR games meant. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did a lot of different things. I really, you know, helped him with his calendar, booked his travel, but also did lots of different uh, marketing initiatives, spoke to various partners, um, and really built my way up from there. So I've held lots of roles across the company since then, and that was in 2011. So it's been it's been almost 11 years, which is insane. That's incredible. It's it's crazy to think that like Pokemon Go is, is came out so long ago in terms of the actual like evolution because it feels so new. I mean, we, it, was, it was very big and fresh, and when it came out, I mean, it took over the planet. Like as a, as a thing, yeah. Like it was like I remember like driving down the streets and just see waves and waves of people just marching down the streets with phones, and it was just it was incredible. And like, did you know it was going to be that big when you guys were seeing the technology when you're going through the process? Like, what was the indicator along the path that the that the Pokemon Go was going to be as big as it was? Well, you know, I think for us, what's really kind of driven us the entire time is how we believe real world AR, you know, mobile mm -hmm. games can connect people uh, in the real world. So what I mean by that is when we were back at Google and we were this experimental unit, you know, we were very independent um, and we launched mm -hmm. a game called Ingress. And Ingress is a little bit more of a serious game. It involves two teams kind of battling for territory around the real world. Um, and we started hearing from Ingress players and they were telling us, hey, you know, I've actually lost 50 pounds because I started moving around my community in order to play the game. And, you know, I don't normally do that. Or I met some of my neighbors who are also Ingress players. And now I feel like I'm a bigger part of the community. There were all of these like really cool stories that that sung to us. You know, we were super inspired to hear that. And it felt like real impact. So. Of course, when we signed the deal with the Pokemon company, that was incredibly exciting. Um, it had been kind of inspired by all of the real impact that had happened with Ingress. And then we spun out of Google uh, in 2015. So we became a fully independent company. We raised our own funding. Um, and that was in, let's see, October 2015. And then we were kind of sprinting towards launching this game, right? We were kind of this unproven startup working in AR while most of the industry was really looking at VR, uh, virtual mm -hmm. reality as like the thing. Um, and so there were a lot of folks folks, honestly, who said there's no way you're going to get millions of people outside playing a game. You know, folks want to stay inside. Um, but we had seen with Ingress players that it worked. Mm -hmm. And so building up to the Pokemon Go launch, no, I don't think we knew exactly how insane it was going to be. I think at the time of launch, we were 52 people, I think, was, was the total number of employees. Um, I was actually very pregnant uh, during the time in which we were preparing for launch. Um, and my daughter, my first daughter was born two days after we launched Pokemon Go. So I had this really insane experience, oh like, you know, having my first child, becoming a parent, and then also watching this game just absolutely explode. I mean, it was totally insane. Um, it was a really crazy time for me personally and for the company. Um, what was great is they, you know, they were like, nope, you got to take your time off, go on maternity leave, you know, <laughs> rest, care for your child. We'll be fine. Um, yeah. Of course, everyone was working 24 um, seven. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was really yeah. inspiring and invigorating for us to see that. Yes. In fact, people do go outside to play games. 
Yeah. So right when the whole thing kicked off, you uh, forced tongue in cheek ish to a degree um, maternity leave along the way. Did you did you throw your daughter in like a Sacagawea backpack and then carry around while I go in and collect balls and do like the in ground, you know, uh, field studies or or did you really kind of take a step back and really get a chance to process? What was that? What was that like for you? Well, you know, I live in San Francisco um, and I live in a neighborhood that is super active. There's lots of people all around. There are lots of Pokestops all around the community. And I, I really was just honestly dying to get out and be amongst other people. Mm -hmm. So I took my daughter along with me. I have a really funny picture of me, you know, like <laughs> I think it was maybe five or six days after she had, she was born, I had her in the stroller. I was standing in front of this like big Pokestop mural that someone had painted um, and was just really in awe of it. And to be honest, I brought her along everywhere. She started coming with me to the office once I was back from leave. Mm -hmm. um, I never even asked permission to do that. I just knew that the company would be very accepting of that. So she came to lots of meetings early on. People were incredibly kind. She's kind of been like raised at the company. Um, yeah. And it's been really special. Special. So she and uh, Pokemon Go are both turning six in July. Wow! Uh, along the path with the the Pokemon things, what were some unexpected? Because I mean, when something blows up like that, a lot of you know game studios and people are like, oh, if only my game could blow up. Yeah, amazing. There are unforeseen things that happen along the way. So, what were some unforeseen, uh, positive or negative, uh, things that happened from blowing up from having such a successful game? Mm hmm. That's a great question. I mean, yeah. there are lots of lots of things there um, from a social impact lens. The thing that comes to mind is thinking about what happens when lots of people who who live in a community and are a part of a community decide to utilize their community. So what I mean by that is, you know, I think some of us, maybe the majority of us, hopefully have access to green space, playgrounds, parks, perhaps. Um, even if, even if you live in an urban environment, there are some, you know, trees, that sort of thing. And what was interesting was hearing from, you know, certain communities who mm. were kind of shocked and offended <laughs> that other people wanted to be in their park. Right. And there's this concept of like, what happens when people actually make use of the community space that they have. Um, yeah. and that was challenging for me personally to understand why you know folks would not welcome that but i think a lot of communities and folks who lived in, in specific ones kind of saw it as like oh this is our private park mm -hmm. right but it turns out that's a public park and it's for everyone to play in um literally and figuratively yeah that's usually more influential areas uh i know i've, I've seen that a lot me living in orange county uh anything by the beach you know when there's people that are and there you know there's there's um you know, there's people that said, I've spent my whole life earning money or whatever to be in this area. And then people go into that space. There's a lot of um, protectiveness yeah. of, of, of their areas, which is interesting when it is when it is public land or public beaches or any of that stuff. Is there anything that you had to code around or things that you had to put up any types of saying, OK, this was originally open fields, open lands um, were the things that you've seen that you had to kind of redirect because of that or uh unintended um uh i don't want to say consequences but effects of the game yeah 
Yeah. I mean, we're, we're constantly evaluating, you know, how people play our games Mm -hmm. and there's kind of like the way the majority of the player base plays our games. And then there are, you know, kind of outliers and um, things that, that maybe we haven't expected before. So uh, putting in place things like park hours, for example, Um, in the game, right. Thinking about like, well, this park is open to the public from let's say, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., but perhaps we can turn off the game locations, you know, from 10 p.m. through the night. Um, Thinking about just like really easy game changes, uh, making sure there is an accelerometer in the game so that people aren't playing the game um, when they're not moving, right? And Mm -hmm. what I mean by moving is walking, rolling, um, running, doing all the things physical with your body, however you get around, but certainly not driving right? Um, we don't want any of that. And that's literally not the point of our games. <laughs> so we we want to make sure folks stay safe. Yeah. Uh, the, gamers will always find ways to hack the system. You know, if it's, if they, you know, I, I saw this, this one when, and maybe she wasn't necessarily hacking, hacking the system, but she had like 12 phones <laughs> and she was going on, she was on like a little mode, like a, um, a scooter type of device. And she was just, she had this whole setup. I was like, I, that's incredible. Like, have you, have you seen, was there any of the edges that you're talking about? Like late night activities. Um, uh, I also know, I think I heard things with like uh, graveyards or something like that as well. There's things like that. that yeah. I, saw, I, I saw signs up that said, Hey, please don't play games here. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I was like, I wonder if that's uh, Pokemon related or not but if like those those edge cases um i like what were there any that were actually shocking to you that you're like oh wow i, I did not expect people to, to hack the system that way yeah i mean the cemetery one is an interesting one right mm-hmm. because there are some cemeteries um that really want folks to walk through them mm-hmm. uh and in fact we have we have had cemeteries reach out to us to see if they could be the host of some of our events. <laughs> These are primarily historic cemeteries, so yeah, not yeah. ones that they use regularly yeah. uh, anymore, but, you know, a way of getting folks to come and explore the ground. So, you know, there are, there are many reasons why you wouldn't want people playing games in especially active cemeteries. I uh, wouldn't be respectful, but there are others who are really curious Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, our relationship with the National Park Foundation all started because there is a uh, national historic site in Georgia. It's called uh, Okmulgee, I think. And they are not as well known as, let's say, Yosemite or Yellowstone. And after Pokemon Go launched, they saw a huge influx of visitorship to their location. And that's because there are a lot of location games, right? These these. Um, locations, these Pokestops and the gyms that are associated with them or in ingress, they're called portals. Um, Those are real life things, right? Like historic spots and buildings and sculptures. And so they saw this huge uptick in visitorship. And um, when the energy committee uh, at the Senate called a hearing about how they could use technology to increase visitorship in national parks, the Okmulgee National Park actually suggested that they call Niantic um, and have us come testify alongside the Park Foundation and the service and some other tech companies. So um, it's interesting, you know, I would not have guessed that, right? Um, yeah. Uh, there's lots of curious conversations and, and questioning happening in Congress, uh, but this was a very positive one. I was the lucky soul who got to go. I had to buy a pantsuit for it and everything. Really? Um, yep. What was that? And I did it. 
and it was it was fun and interesting. And then we ended up creating a partnership with the National Park Foundation. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I I, I you know I, I puckered up a little bit when you're like testify in front of Congress. I was like, ooh. Ooh, yeah. I know, I know it's all for good, but still they're like, now that you're here, we have your tax records. We'd like to go over with you, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, but so it was a positive experience and you got, you got to go through it. And that, and that was that the Genesis that kicked off the social impact for you or what, at what point did you, you know, spin out from just kind of, you know, jack of all trades, kind of helping every way you can to then shifting gears going, we can really make a difference with social impact. Um, an environmental impact with Niantic? Yeah, good question. So after I was John's assistant for about a year mm -hmm. and a half, I joined the partnerships team and started working on building out our location database. After that, I spent about four and a half years on the marketing team, working on social media, um, something called partner marketing. Uh, so working with like paid sponsors who want to be in the game and that sort of thing. And then um, once I had my daughter and came back and was kind of, you know, overwhelmed by everything, I realized that I, I really wanted to work on something else. Um, I knew I wanted to stay at the company. I love the people. I love the mission. But I needed something else that, uh, you know, I could bring home with me and, and feel really good about. So I actually credit my daughter um, with forcing me into that. And I spent some time thinking about, you know, what is it that will create value for the company? And that has been maybe undervalued or underutilized kind of as we've grown. And it really is this, you know, concept of connecting people to the real world using games. Um, you know, again, we continue to hear from players that uh, these games were having a positive impact on them, but we had no like real person or team that could work to amplify that. So I uh, proposed that we start the social impact team that was in 2017. Um, mm -hmm. So just prior to that Senate hearing, um, and said, you know, I think we should build this social impact team. And I think it should be really focused on amplifying all of the good that our tech does already. So we're very action oriented. We're kind of, we're less corporate social responsibility slash philanthropic and more about how are we inherently using our games and our technology to make impact. So it really was, you know, credit back to my kid. <laughs> did she do some sort of daughter guilt trip on you or what What happened with that? I don't know. It was a full, full blown meltdown on my part. You know, I was, <laughs> I was okay. completely questioning everything in life, um, but I knew, you know, I loved the company. Right. And I yeah. loved the people. And so it was like, well, what can I do to stay? So, so, so more fulfillment. It was just kind of that, like, I need something that's got more meat on the bones with meaning. So you can just be able to dive into that. Okay. So, and that, and, but that the Genesis from that, I, I want to dive into that, but I want to take a step back into the point where you're talking about originally you're doing this for paid campaigns, right? Can you elaborate on that, what that was? Cause I want to expand upon what that is, what that looks like, and then talk about how that then affected the impact space. So can you talk to me more about these? You're doing divisions of saying how, you know, the monetizable revenue section for mm -hmm. these paid campaigns. Yeah. So, you know, mobile games have various ways of um, obtaining revenue, right? We don't have like the classic in-app advertising or pay to play model. Um, but what we do have is in-app purchase, uh, which is classic. And then we also have sponsors. So that's, you know, different companies, um, for-profit companies who might pay to, for example, have their store locations as game locations in the game. So the idea would be, 
In order to play, you know, any one of our games, you need to physically move to those game locations. So what happens if, you know, you move to a game location and that game location is a storefront? Mm -hmm. um, so part of my job at the time was working with these organizations. I worked with companies like Sprint and Starbucks to think about, you know, kind of leveraging our games um, to create value for them as well. And we've kind of grown that into a much more mature program at this point, thanks to lots of my colleagues kind of across the company. Mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, that, that concept of we have players in the real world, right? These, these people are literally physically moving through the real world. Uh, what's our impact there and how can we amplify that impact? And that's kind of what inspired me. You know, I was kind of doing these side projects of like, maybe players want to go on a historic walking tour with me, you know, and we can use like these game locations. And so I did, I did do a few tests yeah. um, before I proposed it, but I just, I love people and I love doing good. And so they all kind of came together in, in one spot. Cool. I, one more question on this one. We're going to shift into social social impact space, but like with the uh, you're talking about it being more of a mature space, and you could actually have the ability to move people into locations, which is funny because I am thinking about me going to Starbucks. I remember having the Pokemon going, and then just you you flood into a place where people are. Oh, this is where I can I can catch a certain type of Pokemon. I it's funny because I'm having flashbacks. I actually played Ingress as well, so I remember oh, nice. the little things that are kind of moving about and they're like um particle effects that you drop down mm -hmm. and you know these and I, I remember going through a bit of that it didn't grab me as much as pokemon obviously there's obvious reasons why um along the path now but for the corporate entities and these things like you know what are the real metrics that they're looking at to be at the show that oh this is actually valuable this is worth the roi how do you justify you know besides just feet going into it is there some other metrics beyond that that you can say oh this makes sense for a corporate sponsorship to be able to do yeah, I mean, we did a lot of experiments early on. Mm -hmm. It was really about like, okay, cool. Now we've driven the players to this location, but then mm -hmm. what, right? Like, what do we need to do in order to make it interesting for them to go into the store or to purchase something? Mm -hmm. um, we did a lot of stuff with Sprint early on, you know, thinking about like giving out passcodes in exchange for whatever uh, thing they signed up for, um, a lot of very creative concepts. Um, you know, now we've kind of grown into this, I think, very thoughtful way of doing things. So I'll give you an example. Um, and I keep using Pokemon Go, but we have a lot of other awesome games. Yeah. Um, and they all, you know, they all kind of work together, right? So um, most recent example is in Pokemon Go, we have something called a geofence billboard, which is literally, it's like an airship that like floats through your screen in specific locations. So uh, last year for National Parks Week, and as well as this year, uh, we use geofence billboards in five cities across the US to advertise National Parks Week for the National Park Foundation. And the idea was, could we help players notice that there are, you know, parks, rivers, trails in their local communities that they could go out and explore. And so what we did is we turned these geofenced billboards, this floating airship through your phone screen on in five cities that were of interest to them um, in terms of tapping into different demographics. And then um, we had kind of a CTA, a call to action in there that was focused on learn more about your local park and join Niantic in donating to the National Park Foundation. And we committed to, you know, um, uh, donating and matching their donations up to a certain amount. 
So fast forward, last year was the first time we did this and it was fascinating. Um, there was several million players who actually saw the advertisement. Uh, we blew through our cap in terms of donation matching and the National Park Foundation reported back to us and said, you know, 90% of those donors were new donors to them. So that is obviously a huge, huge thing that they would be looking for is, you know, access to a, a new customer base, right? In this case, it's a new donor base. But that, yeah. um, that campaign is generally used by our, um, our brand partnerships team, you know, and, and we, of course, use it for some nonprofits as well. And it's a really cool way to activate engagement and interest and then, of course, connect them, you know, directly to that partner. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, of course, you go into a, a nonprofit or a foundation, you're like, oh, we can 10x your donations from all new donors. That's a really right. clear, clear cut example of, of uh, real world impact. I mean, and so looking at that, and that was a great segue. Thank you for connecting the dots from this is how we did that in the brand partnership space into this is how it affected the actual donations for social impact. And this is how it kind of crosses the chasm. So then when you're talking about making these deals with these partnerships with these these companies like uh, the National uh, Parks Foundations, like, can you talk to me about ones that you're more, uh, let's just say, proactive with going out and seeking? So there's ones that are kind of retroactive. They're going, hey, uh, you know, could, could we have uh, Yanni go on and testify in front of Congress? That's more of like, oh, okay, I'm going to go get my suit pant. I'm going to go out and <gasps> testify, right? Testify. So with that, okay, that's proactive. What about the ones where you're that are reactive? What are ones that you're going out and seeking? Can you talk to me a bit about that process and some of the impact you're having there? Yeah. So my team's done a lot of work thinking about what is our focus? Mm -hmm. um, what's our mission, right? The company itself, we have a mission that's focused on encouraging people to explore the world together. That is our mission. Um, and we've done a lot of work, research, kind of surveying of our employee base to think about what our team mission is. And that really is to amplify all of the good that's already happening at Niantic within public space. So public space is, is our big focus. And the reason it's public space is twofold. One, we've surveyed our employees quite a bit, and that's one of the things that they care a lot about. And then two, all of our games are played in public space, which I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. Um, and so we, you know, we think we have an interesting connection to public space that is probably different than most companies. Mm -hmm. um, we of course also invest in things like education and sustainability. Um, health. We're really into physical and mental health, uh, but that's kind of our, our focus. And so when we are proactively seeking out partners, we're really looking for organizations who can help us make, you know, real actionable impact in public space. And in particular, we're very focused on underserved communities that might not get um, funding from the city or, you know, are often overlooked. Um, we are focusing on communities that have, you know, uh, high populations of BIPOC communities. Um, you know, I, I make this comment, which is probably <laughs> not the best, but my older daughter, who I keep mentioning, she goes to a public school here in San Francisco and it's awesome. It's great. Mm -hmm. I love it. No complaints. The parents there have time to commit to the school, right? And um, we we are able to support it in a way that is very meaningful to the students. But on a different side of the city, that's not the case. And those students should have just as much resources and support as my daughter does. And so at Niantic, we're really thinking about, you know, leveraging our resources and our capabilities and focusing them on communities that don't necessarily have, you know, 
uh, easy access to support or are often overlooked. So that really ranges. I mean, we, we look at hyper-local nonprofits, you know, that are either in cities where we have offices um, or in cities where we have some sort of interest, right? So we've hosted um, something called Pokemon Go Fest every year, and um, that is in a couple of cities uh, around the world. So we want to make sure that we're giving back and caring for the public space in those cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also, of course, work with national organizations and, and global as well. But it is very much on that public space aspect. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, and you said... Uh... Could you clarify a term? You said BIPOC or something like that. Yes. What, was, what was that? Yeah. So that's all inclusive, right? Um, of of different underrepresented minorities. Um, so black, brown, um, those that are uh, gender neutral, for example. Uh-huh. Um, really thinking about communities and demographics that aren't always included in yeah. conversations. Um, you know, at, at the classic tech gaming companies. Um, we have a long ways to go there. So we're thinking a lot about like, how are we investing our time, yeah. our money, right? Our people and our products in communities that um, deserve to be lifted up. Got it. And that's called BIPOC? Is that yeah. what Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've never heard the term before. So I just want to get clarity. I've, I was like, oh, okay. yeah. All right. So BIPOC is the term, which means all inclusive, everybody. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a dictionary, so <laughs> I mean, a little bit. I just want to, wait, we'll go with connotations before denotations. I'm just saying, okay. Yeah, just, so it's um, I believe it stands for Black Indigenous People of Color, but okay. um, yeah, you, yeah, I'm sure that your users will correct me. Yeah, that's fair, and that's totally fine. I just want to make sure that I didn't want to just nod my head and go, "Oh, okay," and just like have no clue. So, okay, close enough. You know, horseshoes, hand grenades, definitions. We're all gonna just gonna chuck it over there and and see where it lands. That's great. Um, okay, so what's wonderful about this? You're talking about the different areas, right? And, and there's yeah, there's there's areas that people have uh, more affluence. They can they can donate more time. They got more space. Versus people that sometimes struggle and they really kind of get overlooked because they're too busy just trying to survive, and so they can't really invest in their own community. So being able to find those communities where you can have bigger impact by whether it's mental health, physical health, uh, well-being, and then you're talking about environmental um, impact as well, because I know we just had Earth Day, right? And Earth Day, you did things with trees and other things, or Earth Month, I guess for you, I mean, it's not, it, it reminds me of someone turning 21 who doesn't just want to have just one birthday. They want to have a <laughs> birthday month, you know, and they go out again and again, but in a very positive and and good way. So we, can okay. you just break down a bit of what this Earth Day, Earth Month looked like for you and the type of impact you had? Yes. And to clarify why why we do it the entire month um, mm-hmm. is actually the first year that we celebrated Earth Day. Uh-huh. We asked our players to all come out on a specific weekend that was Earth Day, right? And mm-hmm. we asked players to come out and attend these cleanup events like in real life. And then in exchange, we would unlock in-game rewards for those players. Uh, what we learned is that hosting it all on one weekend was not as inclusive as as we wanted to be. Um, first of all, it excluded a lot of organizations who were you know, hosting cleanup events on different days um, wow. throughout the month. And then second of all, not everyone is available, right? On a Saturday, right? Folks work or they've got other commitments. And so we extended that the following year to the entire month um, so that we can include 
people, no matter what their life situations were. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, the campaign itself has really evolved over time. I mean, the company is growing super quick mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we're trying to keep up with the pace. Um, this year, I'm really excited because we've tried to be very holistic about our approach. So in addition to engaging our players, we've also kind of utilized uh, several components to our sustainability campaign. So at a, at a high level, that is number one, engaging our employees in you know real life cleanups um, and donation drives and that sort of thing. The second is engaging our partners. So for example, um, helping to promote National Park Foundation using our geofence billboards. Uh, the third is ensuring that Lightship, our platform, so that is you know our platform that is available to anyone Um, It enables third-party developers to create their own AR experiences. We connected Lightship to uh, Indiecade's Climate Jam this year. Um, So developers are using Lightship to develop, you know, energy-focused and energy-positive applications. I think that's, I'm so excited. I'm really excited to see the results of that. And then lastly is the player engagement, which of course is, you know, a big part of it. And um, this year, we decided to connect player movement to trees planted. So um, we committed to planting one tree for every player who moves. I say moves because I think it's more inclusive than walks, um, who moves five kilometers on what we call Niantic Community Day. Um, And that was this past weekend on April 23rd. uh, And that's where we invite all our players to come out, play games with us, talk to one another, you know, roam around, explore the city. And I'm really excited to say that um, we we hit our cap, which was 100,000 trees, uh, which means that 100,000 players moved five kilometers on that day uh, in honor of these trees. So we're working with Ecosia, a tree planting organization, um, and they are awesome. Really love working with them. They are actually going to continue to partner with us for the next few community days. Um, so we're going to we're going to drag this out even longer um, and hopefully, you know, plant half a million trees at the end of it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. There's a lot to unpack uh, in that, that <laughs> thing you got there, um, which is great, which is great. It's fantastic. So one of them, Ecosia Tree Planting, um, how do you settle on them as being the organization? What makes them a good fit? Yeah. Great question. So they are, um, they're a B Corp, I believe, and they're technically a search engine, but for every search that you do, it unlocks a tree planting. Um, And we did a lot of research. We spoke to lots of amazing organizations. You know, there are so many cool people that are committed to reducing global carbon footprint and thinking about creative ways to plant trees. Um, The reason that we really liked Ecosia is that they are super thoughtful about the way in which they approach tree planting. So Mm. they think about um, the communities in which they are considering planting trees. They consider the biodiversity of those areas. And then they work directly with the local people and the local organizations in those areas to not only plant, of course, native trees that will survive and thrive in those areas, but to then maintain and ensure that those trees turn into big, mature, impactful trees. Um, So that way, you know, there isn't so much of a worry about planting a little baby uh, sapling in the ground and then calling it a day and walking off. And it turns out that it, you know, it doesn't survive. Right. Mm. Um, so that was really what keyed us into it. And we're actually a part of the, uh, playing for the planet Alliance 
which is a consortium of gaming organizations run by the United Nations. Um, and they are in the midst of what they call Green Game Jam um, and have encouraged gaming companies to think about ways to unlock uh, increased tree planting. So we had heard about Ecosia through them. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. <clears throat> that's that's helpful for that one. So going down from that, going up one level, you're talking about these this Indicade energy-focused, energy-positive game jams. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, totally. So, you know, there's game jams happening all over the world. Another another word that people use is hackathons. And it's really like a, you know, short amount of time to create a really cool idea kind of using the resources that you have, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what we've started to do is think about ways in which we can ensure that developers know about Lightship, our platform, and then can use Lightship to create, you know, positive uh, applications. And so uh, we we have actually been involved in this game jam for several years, uh, but we launched Lightship last fall. So we have the ARDK or um, the AR, Augmented Reality Developer Kit, available for download for anyone. Um, but in this case, of course, not only did we make sure that that was available to these developers, uh, but our Lightship team hosted a workshop to make sure that developers were kind of up to speed on how the technology works. And then it was up to those developers to come up with their own ideas uh, and then utilize that technology kit, right, to kind mm -hmm. of develop the idea into an application. Mm. So it's, it's yeah, it is definitely one level up and it's thinking about like, how can we expand our footprint beyond what we currently have? Mm, that's awesome. Do you have any examples? Because you said you've been a part of this Indiecade for a number of years. Do you have any examples of outstanding applications, games that were created um, that had some sort of impact? Yeah, totally. Um, I have a lot of examples. Um, so we haven't used the Lightship ARDK for this hackathon um, before mm -hmm. because we launched Lightship in the fall. So prior to this, we've just been involved in other ways. So lending out our producers and engineers to kind of be mentors to these folks. But of course, we have lots of other programs that are kind of proliferating Lightship uh, across lots of developers. And one of those programs is our Black Developers Initiative. So that's focused on um, supporting really amazing Black developers who are uh, incredibly and historically underrepresented in the gaming industry. Um, and the very first developer who was a part of that program uh, was a developer named Wicked Saints. Um, Jessica Murray is the founder of that amazing organization and studio. And she created a really cool game that's focused on um, teaching youth peace building skills. So thinking about, you know, the behaviors and ways in which we treat other people as a mechanism for um, up-leveling in a game. Uh, I can send, send the links after this if people want to check it out. But yeah, she was really successful in the incubator and um, just recently successfully, successfully raised her first seed round. Oh, so, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I honestly cannot wait for her to just continue to kill it. And was that, and just so clear, it was on the back of the, the light ship? Was that yeah. the... Yeah. yeah, so, and that that kind of holistic, you know, product layer. So the way that I think mm -hmm. about it, since I am a non-tech, uh, non-gamer person, uh, is, you know, oftentimes um, when we're building a new house, we've got an idea of like, mm -hmm. all right, we need 
the foundation. We need kind of like the, the tent structure, right? The plumbing, all of that stuff. Um, I don't know if you've heard about these like tiny house kits that you can like buy. Yeah. I have so, heard about them and they look awesome. They look yeah. awesome. I can't yeah. wait to do it someday. And the idea yeah. there is like you purchase, you know, some land that you love yeah. and then you buy this like tiny house kit mm -hmm. and you build your house, but it's not, you know, it's not just like a one size fits all situation. Of course, you're going to pick out your own fixtures and colors and materials. And that's how I think about Lightship and all of our tech, right? Is that um, it is this kit uh, and it helps kind of, give you that boost to, to build that tiny house on the land that you love, but then you get to come in and really build it, right? Mm -hmm. Put it all together and then add all of the elements that you think are really important to that experience. I don't know if that's a dumb example, but that's how I think that's, about it. <laughs> I, I appreciate like uh, comparisons and it's just, it's a, it's a great way to think and share what, like what's in one head going to another. So the, uh, with the light ship and you're talking about that, does it, so when it helps with not only creating this augmented reality application and it kind of has these features and then it allows it to make it easier, but does it also help with like the, the geolocation kind of stuff to where if like I want to do one in New Orleans or whatever, you can say, Oh, great. So is, is that the, the, the leveraging? Cause I know that's uh, two of the augmented reality and geolocations is really what Niantic's known for in a lot of these different applications. So is that some of the major feature sets? Yeah. So I think if I'm understanding you correctly, you're talking about the, the map that we have of all of the different locations. Is that right? Well, you're talking about building a house in a place that you love. And I was like, okay, well, what if the place I love is New Orleans? And right. And yeah. I want to make an experience that serves the population there using augmented reality in New Orleans. Yep. Is that, is that kind of when we're talking about this metaphor comparison? Is that yes. what you mean by that? Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the, you know, the map itself is something mm -hmm. that we have built for years. Right. And it, mm -hmm. it, it comes with the kit. Mm -hmm. So having access to maps for application building is obviously incredibly important. And nowadays, right. It's it, the maps are okay. Right. Like they're, they're 2d there's, there's Google street view, which is really cool. Um, but there are additional elements and features that are a part of Lightship that are kind of a step up. So for example, um, you know, if you walk up to a sculpture, let's say in New Orleans, and you want that sculpture to be a part of the application that you're creating, um, you could scan the entire sculpture and get like a 3D imprint of it. So instead of it being a flat image or 2D, you know, it's really holistic. So that when players use your game, uh, they can more accurately play and interact with that sculpture as a real life element mm. via the game. Mm, got it, got it, got it. Great. Okay. So it not only helps with the locations, but you can kind of map the environment. So you can actually kind of um, not only assist with not having players run around and get a feel for the physical environment, but you're also helping developers run around and get a feel for the development of the space itself. Right. So yeah. that's that's super neat. With the, these the applications that you're doing here, right? So you have the, the AR... Um, the, the light kits with um, uh, Jessica did she's raising investment or raise her investment seat round for that. Is it, does, how does that work with you? She's leveraging your guys's technology for that. Do you guys then have equity in that company or is that a licensing fee? What happens if a developer does make something amazing on there? The, the, the next Pokemon AR experience and they're leveraging your code base, but they want to raise money. How does that affect them as a company? Yeah. So I think, you know, Lightship as a whole, of course, mm -hmm. 
you know, developers pay to use that ARDK. Mm. And I don't know all of the details behind all of the various fees and things. But what I do know is as a part of the Black Developers Initiative, which Wicked Saints was mm. a part of, mm. um, that is a really cool program in that we bring developers in, you know, we have a really awesome team there to kind of support and help them tap into Lightship. There is funding that is a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then that way they are, they kind of avoid, you know, having to pay like developer fees. Right. Yeah. And then as a part of the black developers initiative, if the, the game itself, you know, doesn't work out at the company or isn't going to be published at Niantic and they instead decide to go somewhere else, they are actually able to take that with them, um, wholly. So the reason that we did that is because, you know, a lot of these underrepresented minority groups are already, you know, several um, layers down in terms of getting uh, a a leg up. Uh, And if they were to come in and be a part of our program, you know, risk it all, right, not not have their jobs or regular jobs and that sort of thing, and then have to leave and leave all of their code, and um, assets behind, that would be a real big bummer. So Mm -hmm. in the Wicked Saints example, they were able to just take the game with them um, and they are independent. We are incredibly excited for them. Uh, But I do think, you know, that's an interesting and unusual Mm -hmm. uh, aspect to the way that game companies normally behave and treat independent developers. Yeah, that's why I wanted to address that that issue because if you start to you know build a part of a, a a company and then but you're you're leveraging their IP technology, but then yeah. you want to go off and raise it, then you're kind of in a situation where you know it's like the old school ways of um, record deal companies or uh, the movie industries. There's been known to kind of you know uh, take advantage of people in those types of situations. So I wanted to address that. So if people if that's going to go on in the back of people's minds, like, oh gosh, what if I invest time into the, this and then and now I'm stuck because I have to work with these guys or something happens? That's that's a very cool way uh, to to foster innovation in a in a in an open and collaborative way. Um, have with that and those initiatives that you're you're pushing on, which is which is great, and you're you're talking about using this lightship technology. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about, we talked a lot about Ingress and Pokemon Go. But there are there are more applications that Niantic has. There's a, the um, the Harry Potter, Hogwarts, and things like that. Can you can you just kind of uh, spread across the land here and just kind of high level and let us know? Okay, what are all the different like IPs that Niantic has that they're working on that are publicly available for you to share? And and please, if there's things that aren't publicly available, feel free to share those as well. Um, <laughs> I'm panicking. I'm silently <laughs> like, what? which ones? No. Um, no, no right. Well, I'll try to go in chronological sure, order. Sure. That's how my brain works. Yeah. So we first launched our, our very first app was Field Trip. And that was really a local discovery application. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was kind of like, you know, if you were to take a walk with me through my neighborhood and I'm pointing out like really cool, interesting places. You know, that's a more interesting walk for you. And that's what Field Trip did is it would kind of push you these notifications as you walked by an area. Um, So that was Field Trip. Then Ingress, which we discussed. Pokemon Mm -hmm. Go. um, Harry Potter. Wizards Unite. uh, Pikmin Bloom, which we launched in the fall. That's uh, Nintendo IP. 
Oh, the well, pigments, the ones that you pick up and they follow you around and you have the different colored ones that can do different things. Yeah. 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 So the, this game is really about like planting flowers as you walk. Uh -huh. um, so it's much more lighthearted, you know, than some uh -huh. of our other games. It's very cute. You feed yeah. them berries. Um, wow. My kids like to play the game. You know, it's uh -huh. it's just fun. Uh, and it's very much focused on like movement outdoors. Um, so that's Pikmin. And then we just announced uh, Peridot, uh, which is kind of our newest game. It's super cute. Uh, it is, it's Niantic IP. So we totally created it within the company. And it is, um, let's see, it kind of reminds me of, if you remember what a Tamagotchi is. Yeah. Yeah. I loved Tamagotchi. Yeah, 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 totally. And, and that's what this game is. It's a little bit of like, you know, having this pet that grows and accompanies you as you walk around the world. Um, it's super cute. All of the creatures are adorable. And interestingly, um, when we were playtesting that game, uh, of course, you know, all of our employees playtest the games, right? So this was back in the fall. Um, my, so my family, we have we have lots of rescue animals. We just really love animals, my kids and I. And we had an old horse who passed away really suddenly, which was devastating for my kids. And, um, you know, it was interesting because I had my older daughter helping me play test with Peridot and this pet, right? And she was caring for the pet and she was talking to the pet. I mean, you can, because it's an AR game, I wish I could show it right now. Yeah. It's like you, you know, the pet is right next to you on the ground. You can see them if you scan the ground and they'll walk next to you and do tricks and that sort of thing. Um, and so I actually think that it might have helped her cope with things a bit more. Um, it was just such an interesting way to watch mm. my own kid interact with this pet, you know, and then of course move on and like go and do her thing. Uh, but so that just got announced and we're, we're slowly rolling it out to the world. Mm. I'm very excited for it. Uh, and then we have also talked about a uh, Transformers game that we're working on. Um, that should be super cool. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. We've got a bunch of other titles that we're working on as well. So we are, you know, um, not hurting for projects. That's for sure. <laughs> I am I'm sure. And looking at that, you're primarily the ones, the the the, the areas that you focus on is, is leveraging what you currently have created, which are things that involve augmented reality and geolocations, right? So all those have those types of elements in there, but different IP, different structures, different ways to go about it. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. So we're, I mean, we're really focused on like, how can we inspire people to go outside mm -hmm. and explore the world around them? You know, right now that's mobile phones. Who yeah. knows what that might look like in the future? Ooh, that uh, sounds like there's a foreshadowing there. Mm -hmm. No, it's okay. All right, all right. Well, I'll leave. I'll leave it there. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask what's going on behind the scenes. But I'm just. I felt like there was, you know, some. Um, anyways, so uh, moving on from that though, and looking at like say like the the tomagachis and those and those other elements of the things <laughs> that you're building, you talk about play testing, right? Yeah. And talking about what does that look like? So, like, how do you know? for you guys internally, or what does that look like? Can you walk me from before, you know, this game's gonna be launched and we're gonna be rolling this thing out. There's this, this area of, you know, does this thing suck, right? Do people like it? What does that look like? Can you talk to me a bit about your internal team's process for play testing something and iterating on something before you release it to the public? 
Yes, definitely. So an alternative word that is kind of a fun and silly word for playtesting is dog fooding. Um, we do use that. I don't like it because I always think about like eating dog food myself and I'm just like not into that. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't eat dog food. Uh, but I get it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I understand. So I say playtesting. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, of course, play all of our games all of the time. I mean, that's like a great perk of the job is that yeah. uh, if you want to work but get a break, go outside and play some of our games. And if you don't understand how our games work, you know, I don't know if it's if it's going to work out, right? Like, we have to drink the Kool-Aid and understand how our games work so that we can be really good at our jobs. Um, so we have a very comprehensive program for that. Uh, there are lots of ways to get involved. We all have different devices. We all have different experiences, right? Different um, technicalities and abilities. Like I said, I'm not a classic gamer, so I'm actually mm -hmm. a great dog fooder. Um, in that I don't understand everything right away. And so my feedback is going to be very different than someone who, you know, might be a QA engineer, for example, right? Like they're, they're looking at quality assurance and making sure that everything is working perfectly. Me, on the other hand, I'm like, well, you know, why doesn't my paradox run as quickly next to me? Like that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And so we have kind of this continuous feedback loop. Uh, mm -hmm. that we have primarily through uh, channels like Slack. We use Slack a lot at Niantic um, to gather all of that feedback and then have these like play testing uh, moments where we actually schedule walks outside and, you know, a bunch of us go out together. I did a really fun play test recently with the Peridot team before they launched where they brought some videographers along with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously all of their uh, product managers and designers and basically just tagged along and asked all of us testers questions about what was going on. And then once we've got like all of that settled, you know, of course, we've got like a family and friends program. Um, and then we have, you know, sets of uh, users, players who are certainly heavily NDA'd, <laughs> um, but are interested in giving, you know, real life feedback. I mean, the more feedback from the more diverse group we can get, the better, right? So yeah. it is a it's a big process. Yeah, it's it's super interesting, especially because it's very different than some people can kind of play test in their home. They can play test in places, but yours you really got to get out and about and and move around. And that seems like a, a different, you know, uh, dog fooding uh, example of actually you need to go out. You can't just stay inside. You have to be able to go and get social or at least get out there in the space, which is which is really unique and different. Um, one thing I want to look at is, so from what advice would you give to say other, I don't know, studios or people like that, that, that want to do social impact? There's people out there that are studios that maybe they want to do that. Maybe they probably don't have the, the, the weight that Niantic does to be able to kind of make these things happen. So what would be the kind of get it up and going things that they could do to make a social impact? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, it's a subjective concept at this point, but I think from what I can see, the broader for-profit industry is starting to move in a direction where, you know, social impact as a term is becoming more popular. And I think that it is more popular because it's focused on action. So what are we as a company really doing? You know, not just like what is, what is our money doing, but how are we considering, you know, the impact of our technology? How are we, um, 
addressing, you know, manufacturers, if you create actual physical goods, um, all of the things that kind of encompass like a company's full social impact. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I, I would say is I think there is this like trend towards social impact versus kind of the classic CSR or corporate social responsibility programming. All of it is good, honestly. I mean, it's it's all, you know, thoughtful and positive. I think where I see the most success is where um, the, the people and the company who are running social impact programs, if they're very focused on how their social impact work ties to their mission, um, that's really where, you know, success happens and where it feels most authentic. Um, mm. There are a lot of really amazing programs out there of, of lots of friends kind of across the industry, you know, who are thinking about how their company is making impact more holistically, I think, than than. 30 years ago, for example. So I'd say as much as you can, you know, tie your work to the mission. Um, mm -hmm. That way you can do things like tap into geofence billboards to make impact and, you know, ensure that this developer has access to this other part of your company. Um, and you are able to really amplify the impact versus having a super narrow kind of siloed approach to impact mm -hmm. that is a little bit of like a, you know, an add on to the company. Got it. So, so, so it's really each, you know, each company is an island unto itself and understand the missions and values of what that certain company stands for. And then aligning the social or environmental impact with that, you know, with what you're doing and kind of creates that, some of that, that makes much more sense, you know, going, going through it. Uh, if that's the case, then, you know, can you say what is, you know, your, um, personal, what I'd call holy grail or mission, and, and how does that align, you know, with Niantic's missions? Can you can you speak a little bit mm -hmm. about that? Yeah, I mean the you know I'm I'm constantly working on this as a, as a personal goal, but um, I think that my own personal purpose is to work to make sure that people feel included and empowered to make the most impact that they can. Um, so if, again, go back to my kid example here, you know, I want my kids to feel included, right, in the family as, a, as an equal member of the family, but also empowered to go and be their independent selves, be themselves. Um, and I think at the, at Niantic, you know, we think a lot about that. There are so many different kinds of people that work at the company. Social impact is a really great way to, include, again, you know, communities, organizations, people who maybe historically have not been included um, in impact-minded uh, efforts before, or even in tech or in games. And mm. then thinking about ways that we can use our resources to empower them to kind of step up to the mic, you know, and be the ones that, that help make the change. I often have conversations with nonprofits where, you know, they're kind of getting ready to give me the pitch on what they can give me um, in exchange for our partnership. And I, I will stop them and say, you know, I would really just love to hear like what it is that you all need to take your organization to the next level or, um, you know, what would actually be helpful for you uh, instead of us kind of like applying our stamp and then like moving on. Um, and I find those conversations to be incredibly rewarding because you build a much stronger relationship with those folks and mm -hmm. to see them succeed and, you know, kind of independently move into a new place that feels better to them is super rewarding. That's awesome. So, I mean, 
a lot of it, so your mission kind of tying into everything is, is having people feel heard and included and really empowering them um, to really not only speak their own voice, but having an impact for themselves and for the yeah. people around them. If that is the Holy Grail mission purpose that, you know, that you're working on right now, what do you feel is the dragon? You know, what is the thing that is so difficult to overcome or so overwhelming that you feel that you might need to transform who you are to get to where you want to go? Should I say what just comes to mind? <laughs> yes, absolutely. No filter and feel free to curse. <laughs> you know, the word that comes to mind for me right now is trust. Mm. And I think that that comes to mind because I'll say for me personally, I'm, I'm a really like intense, you know, overachiever. I have a lot on my plate. I work full time. I have two little kids on my own. Like it's just mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and I am uh, less likely to trust people off the bat, which I don't think is advantageous. I really don't. You know, I think oftentimes that when you just choose to trust, knowing that there is some small risk that it might not work out, um, you are more yourself. You're more free to kind of move forward and do the work. And I think the same is true for companies. You know, there needs to be trust at a company, um, trust of leadership, trust of mission, trust of strategy, all of the trusts, right? Um, and that's hard. That's really hard. And it's very easy to break and super hard to build up. So that's what I definitely see as the dragon for myself personally. And I know it can apply to companies. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That trust creates a lot of, when you have that trust, when you have that psychological safety, even though it may not be warranted, you can move a lot faster and, and you can get a lot more done and create a lot more uh, collaboration when you have that open-minded thing. And and sometimes people uh, um, will uh, unintentionally lose that trust, um, right. but being able to kind of keep opening that heart back up, even though, you know, might have gotten dinged along the way. That's beautiful. Um, this, is, this has been a, a wonderful, excellent um, podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them um, how to get a hold of you or Niantic? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say, you know, it's, it's easy for me to say now, but building the life you love is, is worth the pain and the struggle along the way. I, I have a role that I love. I love working at Niantic. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't really tough times. I mean, I had a full fucking meltdown when I switched to social impact, right? Like I was literally like, what am I doing with my life? Um, and that pain was worth it. I was scared. I was afraid to tell my boss, to tell our CEO. Of course, they were wonderful about it, but I was afraid. Um, and, and it was very scary. My, I, you know, John, our CEO said, okay, but you're going to be more independent, right? You're going to be this independent team. So you're not going to have this kind of comfort zone anymore. And that was scary, but it was worth it. And, you know, that, that ideal life evolves over time. Yeah. What works for me now might not work in two years and that's okay too. So it's this continuous process of reassessing, you know, and paying attention to what uh, types of things make you feel really good and mm. pursuing those, I think is um, a big part of enjoying daily life. Love that. Difficult, scary, but worth it. You know, yeah. you can tell you're going in the right direction when you go, Oh no, what did I put, what did I sign myself up for? I, <laughs> what do you need more time? I don't want, I don't want the, you know, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. And uh, yeah, if people want to find out more about you or Niantic, how do they, how do they do yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Well, you can find more about Niantic. It's just nianticlabs.com. Um, and I'm on Twitter, I would say majority of the time. 
It's Yeni Solheim, uh, my, my first and last name, and same on LinkedIn. I love hearing from people, so please do reach out. Awesome. Uh, Yanni, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate your talk and chat and uh, many blessings, and I'll see you on the other side. Thanks for having me. Take care now. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.